0: What's up, folks? Today on the show, we are joined by Adriana Gilminer, born and raised in Venezuela. She's a 20-plus year marketing exec who got her start as a data analyst and went on to work at American Express. She then worked with some of the top brands in the world after moving into PR and digital strategy at Weber Shandwick, an A-list agency, according to AdAge. Adriana then ended up going through a wild growth ride, leading brand marketing at Tableau, a well-known analytics platform, and today she's CMO at Iterable. One of the top customer-led marketing automation platforms on the planet, Adriana. It's a pleasure to be chatting today. Thanks so much for your time.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today, Phil?
0: Doing great. Uh, sorry if you hear some babies in the background there. JT, is
2: it is it feeding hour right now? Uh, not feeding hour. It's actually nap time. So uh, oh, nice. hopefully we'll be silent this whole this whole interview.
1: Well, no need to apologize. I and mean, you just jinx your nap time. Oh no, my <laughs> wife. My wife is
2: going to hate me. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wanted to start off with uh, your your career trajectory. I, I love to to kind of dig in there. You definitely had a fascinating career, bouncing from agency to in house roles. Like agency, starting off for the first two years of your career, then like spending five years at Amex, freelance back after that for two years, and then back to agency world for five years at two different firms. But along the way, you got that in-house itch again and you joined Tableau where you ran brand marketing, like I said, for six and a half years and you've been in-house ever since, right? Like getting that uh, CMO gig at Komolo and now at Iterable. Talk to us about like what you loved maybe and, and hated uh, about like in-house versus agency versus freelance. Like uh, I'd love to get your take there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks for that question. <laughs> it does bring me back well um I I I will say when I was in the agency world I thought that all my clients were idiots and then every time I've gone into the in-house world then I think that all my agencies are idiots uh, but, <laughs> so net net we're all idiots <laughs> together but uh, I think you know they both have pros and cons I think as I've grown in my career found my home in in-house and the reason really is for just the ability to see all the all the complete cycle of everything, and the focus on one on one problem essentially. Um, and also, you know, as I've grown in my career, I am much more interested in company building. You know, I'm a, I say I'm a company builder first and a marketer second. Mm-hmm. And so that you know really only happens sort of in house, you know, um, unless you're in that in that level and, and an agency. However, I I often, when I mentor people or advise people, I often tell them, especially in your early years in your career, I think it's so important to go to an agency. Two, three years in an agency, I think it's like five years equivalent to -hmm. to in-house because you see so many projects, so many clients, and I think that service mentality that you develop in an agency, the agility, you know, you have to be in the round and you also really develop this huge skill on managing a lot of volume of work, a lot of diverse, you know, context switching a lot. So I think that, you know, agencies provide an incredibly really, really, really good base uh, for especially for people that want to then go into high growth tech companies, because the pace, you know, the pace and the volume and the complexity, it's very similar to what happens in an a, in the agency world. So I I have seen in not only myself but I've seen a lot of success for people, you know, coming from the agency world into into high growth tech. You know, it's kind of like versus like the big 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 companies. It's mm-hmm. a different rhythm. Um. So that's that's on one end, and then on the in house side, like I said, I think that the a For people that really enjoy that in-depth, you can really focus on one problem. Of course, lots of things, but one problem and driving that end cycle. And and to me, it's not just a creation, right? It's like, what's the business outcome? What is the people outcome? And that I really, really enjoy, especially when I've had the great luck of being passionate uh, for a product, you know? So it's not just a client relationship or what you're doing. Like to me, Tableau was... Certainly from the, they actually, so that's a funny story. So they actually were my client when I was at Weber Shamwick gotcha. and they were, uh, that was 2009. So they were, I remember, cause I wrote the press release for when they had 100 people. So they were a tiny, tiny little startup. Hmm. I had seen when I first saw the demo, I immediately was like, you're gonna change the world, and this because I was that business user. I at American Express had to do a lot of data analysis. I right. had to learn SQL, and you know when I saw the product, I was like, "This is something I." And still today, I'm I'm a huge user. So to me, it was the first time that I had the ability to have, you know, market a product that I myself use and love, and I'm a huge believer in it. And and then of course the company. So so that you know and i we were saying like i think once you have that experience you can't go back you you're always going to want to have fulfillment is when you have a product and an audience that really ties to who you are and what you value yourself so you know i have that here at interval too so that's why you know that's why ultimately I feel like, you know, it, the rest of my career and I won't go back to agencies, even though again, like I said, huge, huge, uh, and I got to tell you, I met my husband at Digitas. No <laughs> so, cool. so, and I joined before they, they were public, they were still strategic interactive group and I was doing digital. Um, I was a new media analyst there. <laughs> um, so, so I have a lot to be thankful for the agency world.
2: Yeah. It. Kind of talking back to like the Tableau journey, like you were there for six and a half years. You talked about like, you know, when you're in a consultancy or an agency, you're working on a lot of different projects, but when you're in-house, you're nudging one ball forward effectively over a longer period of time. Do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, for people who are maybe on the agency side, thinking of jumping in, what does that look like? Six and a half years of, of moving a product and a mission forward.
1: Yeah. Well, um, you have to have a lot of patience, <laughs> I think, but also urgency. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's important. It's one of these things that it, th- th- there's two things that I think are really different from when you jump from in-house to or from agency to in-house. One is the amount of time that it takes for internal the organization. One of the things I love about agencies is it's very clear what the priority is, like the mm-hmm. client is always a priority. So it doesn't matter. You have very few, much fewer internal meetings. And it, I mean, there is some of that, but but relative to your time, it's a very small consumption of time. You're really, it's all about client. And for example, there was never even a question, like if you had to skip an internal meeting to go to a client meeting, obviously, like, you know, because literally that's how you make money. You're billing in the hour. So it's like a very, you know, like I said, this is that is client and service oriented So when you go in house, uh, that line is not as clear and you can very easily spend a lot of time in internal things. And there's lots of activities, lots of things. And so you have to be a little more, um, I think a a little bit more intentional with your priorities to make sure that you are moving the needle on things that really matter. And I, I always anchor myself on customers and what the outcome is, not the process. So that's the second thing that would happen to my, a lot in, in, in in-house, you know, there's lots of processes, lots of things that can consume a lot of your time. And I find marketers, especially people coming from agencies, because they are used to the process of production, (laughs) you know, like, oh, I got to get a campaign out or an email or an ad or an announcement. You know, you're always, all of the processes are internally in an agency are meant for a for an outcome for getting something out in in in-house not all of the processes in fact many of the processes are not meant for that and so people tend to check the box and make sure make sure that they're going through their steps but forget what the outcome is like what is it for and so you have to you have the ability to change internally you have the ability to to question why are you doing these steps so you know i i tell people like be mindful of the outcome because when you're in-house, the outcome is not always as clear mm-hmm. as it is in an agency world. And then the third thing I would say is you have to have the long term um, the long term view. So the way that um, most corporations, a, you know, build resources. For example, so this is one of the biggest challenges that I see people from agency coming in house is that they do not understand how the financials of the company work. So they don't understand how headcount works, how planning cycles work, how budget allocation. That is super different from the from the agency world. So you have to spend the time understanding how that works, so that you understand what plans you can do. So things like you know headcount allocation, how does marketing get funded versus you know product gets funded? Um, how does you know like how does a balance sheet work at a company you know in a tech company? What's a PNL? You know like all of those things are not things that you will learn in an agency ever, and so they're very foreign to when you come in in house. So you have to think like oh I got to build my team. You're not going to get automatically headcount like you need to mm-hmm. understand when is that appropriate in the overall cycle of the company. And so those are the things that, that I would say, you know, I see a lot of marketers jumping from agencies to, to in-house kind of tripping themselves up.
0: That's fascinating advice. I I think that like, and what makes it even more tricky is that when marketers are joining new companies, like the budget allocation process, like all those internal things like are going to be different at different companies, different sizes too. And something else you mentioned is like when, when you like spend time with Tableau, like learning the product itself, like at at American Express or like even before like joining something that like going the in-house route that allows you versus agency is like learning a product very innately and like, Dive in super deep into it when your agency and you have a bunch of these like accounts that you're kind of like working on. Like you don't have like the the capacity all the time to like really learn a product through and through. So
1: that's true generally, but I do think it really depends on the agency and the mm-hmm. account structure. Because I I had the luck in, in both in Digitas and Weber which were my primary primary agencies. To have uh, pretty much dedicated, you know, accounts okay, cool. and clients, so that gave me the opportunity. And, and so, for example, with American Express, um, when I went to the when I jumped over to the client side, um, I, I had serviced American Express for three years. So I was intimately familiar, and in fact, that was actually the reason I I went. My client called me up, and her the digital marketing manager, it was called internet business leader, um, it had it had left, and so she needed, and you know, like. She was like, you know, everything because you've done <laughs> you know. So, so it really helped me. Like I wrapped up super quick in American Express because I had already been working with them for a long time in a very deep manner. Um, and and so, you know, like the website, I knew it in and out, like, you know, Micah and all of the things, just because we had at Digitas been building. And again, that was the, the account structure. So what I would say really depends. And, and both at, you know, at Weber Samwick, I didn't have dedicated. So I didn't know as much but one of our big accounts was samsung and um i did have you know 17 people or so dedicated to just a north america mm-hmm. consumer electronic business and i remember one of the things is that we ran their um reviews their technical reviews for tvs and all that stuff so my team we had to study the manual like mm-hmm. that was part of onboarding and i like i'm like no you need to know all the specs because when you're working with a cnet or you're working with you know like uh, consumer reports and stuff like you—they have questions, and our client expected us to handle all of the technical questions. And they like we went to the lab, and and would get you know direct product training so that we could handle um, and support really that that team. So you know, and I didn't have that with like a Microsoft, you know, which were also my client, but but uh, but definitely you know Samsung required that, and I thought it was really great. By the way, I'm a huge fan of you need to know what you're marketing.
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And like you, so when you were at Tableau, like you were brand marketing, like more on like the creative side, maybe of of marketing. And like you got to play in the tool. Obviously, like you were an expert in the platform. Like for for marketers listening right now in the audience that are in the B two B space and marketing, like a developer friendly product or like something selling to data analysts, and like they don't know SQL that, or like they haven't dived into that world. Like you just mentioned, it's super important to know the product. How do you balance like learning the craft of the role that you're supposed to do at the company, like maybe brand marketing versus like also spending time, like learning the product and being like super in tune with what you're actually selling.
1: Yeah. I, I had a long career at Tablosa. So I actually did uh, several things. I most of the time, but I started in communications, heading up their PR and AR program. And then yes, grew into having, you know, running the community program. And then yes, I had brand marketing, I had events as well. (laughs) So it was kind of like a lot of things. And that's the beauty of a high growth um, company where, you know, you get to do a lot of stuff. So, uh, so, so it was actually a little bit more varied than that. But um, I will say, you know, to me, you have to, to me, being in-house and being in a high-growth company, it's harder to do it when you're in a, in a big company. But um, when I joined Tableau, it was, you know, again, relatively small. And it, it's also a space that, that I used to tool every single day. It wasn't like, it wasn't like a forced thing, you know. So, uh, you know, all of our reports. And Tableau had a culture That allow us to do so for example everybody in tableau at the time you know i don't know if it's still like this but at the time was required even if you're no matter what your role was (laughs) like everybody was required to go through boot camp and within the first 90 days of your employment you were required to to do the base certification was called bronze level uh certification Mm -hmm. so there was a whole culture in fact a lot of our for a long time part of our interview process it was you had to do you had to do a demo. I remember my first, I think it was my first month or so. Um, I went with my CEO to New York uh, to meet with Forbes, and um, he was like, "So, Adri, you're gonna do the the demo, right?" And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> I'm like the, the demo. And I call my CMO and I was like, Oh my God, Elisa, like Christian is telling me that I have to do this demo. What? Just <laughs> like, what did you tell me? And, and she's like, Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you. Like, he totally expects Like, you know, if you're going with him, you have to do, it. I'm like, what? No. Like the founder, are you kidding me? He's like a God of demos. <laughs> you know?" <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? So for two weeks I basically locked myself up with our BPR head of product marketing and uh, and also our chief product officer, who's amazing for Zaw, I just said and Ellie uh, Fields. I have to call them by name because they're very dear friends and amazing people. And I mean, they were like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna help you prep. Thank goodness I didn't have to <laughs> actually do the demo, but I have never been so nervous in my life. But you know that that I think it's like so the so one is like the culture of the company, and I really. Uh, Learn that at Tableau and I spouse it. I always been very product oriented because I, I, I just again, am the type of person that I can't just like write words or you know do an ad without actually understanding what I'm doing. So I, I think that that is the difference between essentially being like um, an a orchestrator or an operator of of, of of marketing and being like a strategic asset is that you understand, Not only the product, but the business. Like you need to understand how does the organization make money, (laughs) like and how it it, does it spend money. Like you need to understand those two things so that you're a better marketer. And how you balance that, of course, is hard. But if you're not in an environment where that is provided, it's up to you. I I think honestly, it's a career development, like because, for example, the role of the CMO. You know, the old school role of the CMO is very much like, oh, are you going to like brand and make things pretty? Like marketing has this, it's like, you know, this bad reputation. is like, mm-hmm. oh, you, you guys are the things that make things pretty, make some events, just oh. put out a press release. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's not right. I mean, that's yeah. not right. And that in part is on us as marketers. Mm-hmm. Like we've created that too, by only focusing on what we're executing and not what we're re- representing.
2: You, you said something earlier that, that I found really interesting, which leads me into a question around like future CMOs, but you talked about yourself as a company builder mm-hmm. and we just kind of had this conversation around learning product. Like, I think this really kind of exemplifies what the modern, you know, 2022 version of a CMO is. But if you're looking through crystal ball and, you know, I know you mentor people as well, like. What advice do you give to people who are thinking, "Oh, 2032, 10 years down the line, I want to be a CMO." Like, what do you think of the attributes that are going to make the the CMO of tomorrow like top-notch?
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> I hope I know but I don't know what in 20, 2030 years the world might change a lot, but but I think some of the 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 let's say universal truths are First of all, one of the things that I love most about marketing is that to me, it's the most diverse department. If you think about in a marketing organization, you have artists and you have data scientists, you have engineers, you have project managers, you have great writers. You know, those are all very different type of thinking. And often it creates tension. <laughs> and so I think a, a great CMO is someone that, a not only values that but really knows how to harvest diversity in diversity of thinking of course diversity of backgrounds and ethnicity because it's not only you know within the team but also you have to work across and so to me that's that's goes related a a cmo the skill of being able to drive change across the organization to drive and bring things together is a soft but very, very important skill. Like if you don't, if you can't bring product together and brand together and, you know, the executive and like, if you're not able to really cross-functioning collaborate and even like, you know, of course finance, I mean, you know, when you're a CMO of the company it's so much too about the performance of the company, right? It's not just the, the, the product itself. So if you're not able to understand and link and have systematic thinking, but also the the skill to to uh, drive the change, but also bring people together and bring that vision together and articulate, you know, be like that that sort of um, I guess connector. Uh, I think I think you not only going to fail, but but it, it, that's that's super important. You know, it's like having all that diverse thinking. So that that's what I mostly would say. But um, again, a great CMO. Um, has to me, the, the other big thing is like, I mean, you have to know how to work with different people and cultivate different people. Mm -hmm. The more it is funny, I read the other day, a quote that said that, um, leadership these days is about, um, about being able to have a generic or a general vision, but a personalized message. Mm -hmm. And if you think, and that made me think a lot because it is true, like, you know, it's like fairness is not that everybody gets the same thing. It's that everybody gets what they need mm. and you have to be so in tune with the organization and so in tune with your customers uh, and so in tune with just a market like that, that, uh, so the, I guess like the skill of listening and being on the pulse of things is super, super important. And then the last one, I would say your ability to stay agile. Um, mm. the, I, I, I have no idea what the world will bring, but I will, I know it's going to be faster change. Like we're already experiencing if any Mm -hmm. of the two years have taught us anything. So your ability to adapt and change and stay humble, like you do not know, you just Mm -hmm. don't know. It's like, it's, it's very humbling to say every day, just remember the last twenty-two years of experience Man. mean nothing today. <laughs> you know, it really means nothing. So I have to, you know, check myself and not just assume that I know how to do things. But listen and stay humble and say, okay, well, um, what what's the best? How do I harvest the intelligence of this mm. team to to go in and experiment and go forward? Right.
0: I really love that answer. I think I completely agree. The first thing you said there about like marketing being one of the most diverse teams in in a company, especially a big company. And something I know like you're, you're passionate about uh, from being a marketing leader is this idea of like spotting up and coming marketing superstars. And the fact that like marketing is so diverse and has so many different like roles and talents, like talk to us about like how you approach discovering some of these future rock stars. Like what are some of the early signs and qualities that you look for?
1: I, one of the, my favorite questions in interviews is, is I ask people, how do they learn? And, and mm-hmm. I think that is a very, to me, it's a very important asset for what you're saying. And, and I think, you know, a lot of the times when you're hiring, of course, exp- the, the problems that experience is kind of like your, it's, it's the safety net. But we all know that experience is not enough and it also can mean nothing. They can have a lot of experience and still be bad people, you know? So, right. so that, that is, so it's just that it's easy. It's easier to hire from, from experience and I don't always get it right. You know, so I, I try to force, you know, you're hired for a role. So you're always doing like a mixture of experience. But to me, I always think about potential Um, and and aptitude much more, you know, and to try to, you know, balance those things. So, so um, I spend a lot of time thinking about, for example, in asking again, and what I'm looking is for like what here at what we call growth mindset, but is this person self-aware? So, you know, another big question I ask is like, what, you know, why don't you do so well? Or like, tell me what, um, tell me what uh, people like your colleagues would say to you on a really bad day. Like, I want to know, and it's not because it's tough, right? It's not because I I want to hear like what their weaknesses is, but I want really what I'm looking for is like, how self-aware is this person? You know, how eager are them to, to learn and do things and adopt and, you know, grow and you can hear it in people's answers, you know, like the passion comes through versus the uncomfortability of like, are you asking me what I'm not good at? (laughs) (laughs) So, um, and, and And um, that, that, that's some, some signs. Also, honestly, one of the biggest things I see, and it's incredible to me, even at the senior most senior level positions is how much research do they put on? So a great candidate will come in prepared. I always ask, what do you think we should do better? What's your opinion? Have you taken a chance to, and I, you can tell the depth, you know, and so the, the, candidates that impress me the most because you you know they're because what they're showing is self-initiative and you mm-hmm. need that <laughs> I mean like like and so without any direction and you need them to also be bold with their opinions right like even if they're wrong it doesn't matter you know they're external and it, that's very valuable to me so yeah. uh, always but it's shocking the amount of people that come in with a CMO pre- like meeting or you know like a very high end and they have not done their homework they didn't take the time to even look at the website (laughs) so it's crazy and so I mean you know that those to me are like definitely like early signs but then also when I'm me like so coming here for for, uh to interval a the the people that like in you know you always do like okay tell me what's going on right so Um, I would look for people that would be really honest, like, instead of trying to paint the, the super positive picture, like everything is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say like Lauren, for example, uh, she's, she's on our PR team. Um, she, she, they paint you the the real picture (laughs) of, of like, Hey, here's what we're doing. Great. Here's what we're not doing. So great. This is what I need help. And here's some ideas. And Mm so I, I really look at those, you know, the up and comers, um, I often say, especially if you're like a manager or someone, you're not just executing the process, you're looking how to change it and optimize it. And so if you have ideas, even if it's the simplest thing, like, you know, we have this like request form and I would really like to simplify it and change it. Or I think we could do like when I hear those people say looking for how do they can optimize it, because you're always you always need to be changing things always like there's no standard those to me are like gems those are definitely signals of like ah, uh, this is this is a high performer here here's a here's someone with high potential because they're looking to improve things
2: it's that's super great advice like the the ability to take initiative and run with a ball even when you're not asked to do something like not staying in your lane but knowing how to exit your lane a little bit and, and in a strategic way to bring value back to the team like I think that's That's some great advice for our listeners and especially anybody looking to apply for a job, like go, go try out the tool, uh, have some experience and and show that you're actually interested in what you're doing.
1: Yes. Yes. And, and bring criticism. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. great. I remember I had one interview with someone one time, uh, and I can't, I can't remember the role, but this person had downloaded the, the, the trial. This was at Tableau. And they had gone through the whole signup process. And this person was like, I I just did this. And I've got to tell you, it is terrible. And this is wrong with this. And this is stuff. And I would change it. And have you seen, and then there's this tool. And I was like, hold on, let me take notes. Yeah. (laughs) So it was so great, you know? And so you want people that that have you know that level of insight like mm-hmm.
2: i'm like yes <laughs> i think i think if you're having an interview and it turns into kind of like a brainstorm or a jam session with uh, yeah. with your hiring manager like that's when you start to unlock things you're testing the company cuz you want to make sure that this is going to work on your side as an, um, an applicant yeah. but also the company wants to see like hey thanks for doing some free reser- user research for us let's put this <laughs> to the ux team right away yeah <laughs> I want to chat a little bit
0: about something you said earlier about um, marketers getting a bit of a bad reputation. Like specifically, mm-hmm. maybe like diving into branding a little bit because I know it's it's close to your heart. How often have you heard this from CEOs at, at tech companies? Like maybe like going back to like your 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 ad days, but. I don't believe in brand marketing. If you build a good product, people will love it. They will share it and we will grow organically without marketing. (laughs) I've heard too many of these like technical CEOs say this like in in, in my previous lives. What do you say to a business leader that doesn't believe in brand marketing? And how do you respond to that as CMO if like your new CEO just walked into a room and, and is telling you that?
1: well i mean to be honest i think if i ran into that at the ceo level i probably would be out eh? (laughs) because i mean there's there's battles um I, i i have heard this type of thinking never at the ceo level fortunately i think any ceo today uh can understand can see what the value of a brand is and if they don't get it i mean they're probably i mean just try Yes, there's like the general viral hit, and I would say like yeah, early on you probably do need to be product led and need to understand like, and and I'm a big believer like no matter how big you get, if you start to lose focus on on innovation and your product, then why are you in tech? I mean that that's the point of tech is to. Do better technology. <laughs> so, so I I am generally attracted to companies that are very strong on the product side, because to me, like the go-to-market side, well, it's one where I can help, and also uh, it's like a million times easier to market something and to sell something that is good than <laughs> than <laughs> then to try to put the the you know facade Mm
2: -hmm. so
1: that that's that's uh not not a formula i like i will say like look i mean it's an amplifier i mean of course it's in in today but for example think about how smart content writers are for example like it's not today you can't just like write something and put it on a blog and it'll like go viral or do a YouTube, there's a million, right? There's a million, there's b- b- more than a million. And so they're, they're really, you know, the reality is that it does take some science and some art to put something together. And um, it, the, also there's a bis- misconception of like, what is brand? Brand is not mm. like your colors and your logo and, you know, like the advertising you put together brand is the synthesis of everything you do your employees your offices your narrative your product positioning everything right and so the practice of brand marketing is really the ability to like synthesize all that and and be authentic to that and in response to you know and in, to to what's happening in the market you know to help you and for a small company, I'll, I'll be very practical. I'm being like a little bit too too uh, conceptual here. I'll be really, really practical. When you're a small company and you're going to put some money in demand gen, right? I mean, because if you believe that you can sell a product without any marketing or any sales and people will come, then go, go for it, please <laughs> do it. Uh, and once you've proven that that's impossible, Uh, sure put sales let's say you go sales lead okay that's going to get really expensive real fast and so it's just a money thing so then the next thing that companies do and I believe you do build the the business bottoms up first a product you prove your product then you put in sales you prove your sales motion then you're going to start to build marketing and the first thing you're going to do with marketing is probably like some kind of demand gen stuff again that follows up to a point, it gets really expensive really fast because the the search that you have. So the only way that you can make all of those other things much more efficient, the only way that you can do, meaning like you can lower the cost and you can increase the reach is by then starting to develop your organic and your, you know, your traditional brand channels, because you can be, especially as a small company, you cannot compete with dollars. Like mm-hmm. you just don't have the dollars to compete, but you can be more interesting. And if you're more interesting and more relevant and you develop the muscle of the earned and the organic channels, you will lower your costs. You will make, that's why you do it. It's to be not, not to be nice and cool, <laughs> but literally you need to lower the fine, the, the cost of acquisition. And the only way that you can lower your cost of acquisition is by, by doing essentially brand marketing. So so beyond all the, you know, conceptual stuff, there is a very practical financial reason on why every company needs to have this. And it's just a matter of scale and efficiency, like period.
2: The, the fascinating answer. And and thanks for giving us insight into your thought process there. Like just to kind of continue with the brand, like, and again, I'm coming back to this point of the CMO as a company builder It's really resonating with me right now. Like the brand is as well, it's a company initiative. It's not, it's marketing will often push this forward and help with it. What's the role of the CMO in kind of unifying a brand, uh, and getting everybody in the company to, to go behind that brand, build product in accordance to the brand values and and so on.
1: Well, I think it, it's, it, I would call it the ringleader, you know, um, because again, again, it goes to like which role in the whole company can kind of do that or present, but, but you have to be a ringleader, uh, mm-hmm. the the mistake would be to do it in a vacuum, to just, you know, hire an agency to do it for you. Like that, that's not true brand marketing. I mean, that, that's the execution of the brand, which is different, but the actual definition and evolution has to be a cross-functional. It has to be, you know, the CEO, the product people, the sales people need to be in it. Like it needs to be a shared and, um, and uh, the role of a CMO and an you know, a good, you know, marketing team has the ability to bring those together in the definition, like I said, and then the evolution of it. War role, then there's a the second role, which is a lot of like carrying it on, right? Like mm-hmm. actually executing like, um, and, and you know, I, again, that's hard. Some companies are more open to that than others. Um, I, I think you you have to know the culture, you have to know the people, you have to earn the trust. And for example, I found that in my career, if you don't invest in learning the product, going back to that whole thing, you know, um, it, it, you, you will never earn the trust of an engineer or a, a chief mm-hmm. product officer. You will never do like you're not speaking the language. Same yeah. thing. If I don't know my, my financials, if I don't understand the business, you will never earn the trust of your CFO. Mm -hmm. So like, I need to be able to speak their language. Uh, And so that's, that's why I think it's so important for a CMO to, you can only be the ringleader if you've earned, if you've earned the trust by knowing and understanding all the pieces of the business.
0: Yeah, cool. Love that answer. I wanna—we're already close on time. It's been a fascinating conversation. Uh, I wanna give you a chance to to dive into this stuff. Like I was—I was reading some of your previous articles at Tableau, and uh, you've written bravely and powerfully about your experiences as a Latina immigrant and shared your thoughts on the Caucasian male narrative that dominates much of the world, especially the tech world that we kind of live in. Mm-hmm. Talk about your change in mindset when it comes to the importance of the power of checking that box, despite not always feeling like. Like you fit the stereotype that people often have.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a it's a rich topic, and definitely something I've been thinking a lot about it in well in the last ten years, but even more now. Being an immigrant and not again understanding the cultural norms and the the culture here of the U.S., I wasn't really aware even of you know I would say, for example, the black experience in the U.S. is very different than the black experience in Venezuela and i you know in in that respect for example we didn't grow up with a separate it's not a, a separate uh culture and that of course has to do with all the history of of venezuela itself uh not that by the way i mean of course there is racism uh but it takes it 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 takes a, little, a different shape and i think like also being a woman, uh, I had a I had a really good fortune of growing up with a mother who was in technology. She ended up being a CIO of a big tech company, and there was something I think you know. Just I was lucky as a kid that I it never kind of dawned on me that there was a there was a discrimination or there was like any kind of you know I guess like. A what's it called? a Flaw of being a woman, like mm-hmm. like that. Why wouldn't I belong in you know the tech world? And I learned how to code because my mother made and she sent me to like Code Camp, <laughs> you know when I was like a kid, and you know it just never dawned on me that that's not a thing you do like it, you know sciences or and and I get, you know so totally lucky to have grown up when you don't have those um, limiting views in your life. So it really never, so it was not a thing for me. And when I came to the US, it really took me a little while to realize that uh, not myself, because that definitely happened to me, but even to kind of open my eyes to what was happening around me and to even myself, you know, like I I just wasn't aware. And so that's what changed to me. There were uh, many situations uh, around me, including... For example, you know, at work, um, I had a colleague who was from Puerto Rico. Um, She is more mixed, you know, so definitely has more African size to her. She has a heavy accent, but she's incredibly prepared, and and she was much more prepared than me, and much more. And I would just see how, in the room, she was treated differently. How her ideas were. Um, not taking consideration or somebody else would say like a guy would say it, it, the exact same thing. And mm. and then I definitely started noticing that similar things happened to me. I also started to realize like I, my, I have a slider, you know, less accent and that played in my favor. So you start to realize like how these like, frankly, irrelevant differences started to play you know, the, the, the power schemes like started to play. And it it really, you know, of course, it's very upsetting. <laughs> uh, but I realized like, wait, this has to change. So it is important that I come out. And I, I think, you know, as an immigrant, you come in and you try to adapt, right? So I wasn't particularly eager to be like, hey, by the way, I'm from Venezuela. And like, you know, like, and I do this and like, I'm so different. Like you all make these SNL jokes and I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, ah, yes, that totally that episode. Yeah, totally. And it's like American football. I'm like, no idea what's happening. And so I was not particularly eager to, and I could see, like, I honestly use the, my passing because, oh, okay, they they, not not every person meets me and immediately thinks, oh, foreigner. Um, So, so I definitely use that, I think, to my advantage to wanting to, because I wanted to belong, I wanted to, to adapt and be part of, you know, the country that I was immigrating to. So, which I, I don't think it's a crazy thing to do. But again, you know, I realized, like, that 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 there was so many so many honestly it's tough for any immigrant it's tough for and even if you're in the United States like it is tough if you're not part of the white male dominance um there is a different treatment and and some of them is is it's not just like treatment it's like straight up you know illegal (laughs) things that happen and when I like it then it to me became like I have to be part of of the change. So claiming my identity upfront and being proud of, no, I am Latina. I'm from Venezuela. By the way, my name is Adriana, not Adriana. (laughs) So, and, uh, and, you know, and, and being like, like who I am first in, and not feeling like I have to hide that was not just important for me, but really for like what that change represented. So, you know, that's, that's where my change of Really my change of mind. and I, I, I do feel ashamed that I you know that I didn't start, that it took me so long to to realize that I, I had a, a role to play in, in this whole um, you know sea of change, which I hope leads us to a place that it, it is more equitable and it is more open. Uh, to people, because the, I think this is what this country was built on—so diversity—and it's one of the most incredible things about United States. So we should, we should, why not lean on that strength and make it grow and make it more equitable and more open for everybody?
2: Super powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, I, I was gonna just follow up. Like, what advice do you have for for our listeners, for Phil and I, for people who are sitting in, in boardrooms and? you know uh, uh being witness to this like how how can we all in your mind uh help affect this change i,
1: I mean it starts with awareness but i think second about is like really think about be very intentional about who's in the room uh it, it, automatically by having different voices and perspectives it you will you will be open to to it and i think you know stay humble like the reality and none of us have you know, the truth, like, mm-hmm. I don't know anything really about <laughs> what different races experiences. And I own and even like, it's so funny, because that's the other thing is like, I would say, also, don't, don't forget that you're treating an individual, not the whole community. So like, I can never claim to be representative of, you know, like Latina women, like, mm-hmm. I mean, you're, I'm, I'm just one person. Mm-hmm. And and also, like, I don't want to feel, you know, the, the pressure of like, every act I make is in representation. I'm going to let down an entire, you know, population of the world. I mean, or my gender. I mean, can you imagine, like, put yourself, if I were like, Hey TJ, like everything you do speaks of the male perspective. (laughs) It's like, Oh my gosh, like you're paralyzed. So don't forget that. Yes, you do have to, you know, bring different diverse people but those people are only really rep- they're one individual and they represent their own and that's going to be one perspective not the whole um so it's so um that that's where i would start the the um and yeah get to know the person you know like we you were talking about latino stereotypes in some ways you know i totally fit some of them some like not a, you know but the reality is like i'm I'm a human being that is a combination of my own, you know, experiences, the next Latina woman (laughs) is their own too, you know, Mm -hmm. so, um, so yeah, I, I try not to, I try to celebrate cultures, but not assume that, you know, just remember that each person is different.
0: Awesome advice. Thank you so much for for sharing that. We're we're close on time. We love to finish with this this question for all of our guests. Um, we, we kind of chatted about your your career, the progression. You mentioned that you have two kids, you have a dog as well, like you probably got a bunch of stuff going on. How do you remain happy and successful in your career and and find a way to balance everything that's that's going on while while still staying happy?
1: Well, I cannot balance anything. So, if you all know how to do that, that would be awesome. <laughs> it's like there's generally there's all like every day I do feel like there's some portion of my life that I'm failing. But to be honest, um, I I don't worry about that too much. There, I think to me the secret to be. I don't call it happiness, but honestly, to, to be joyful and grateful of what I have is that I practice a lot of letting go, you know, I'm very much about what happens now. And, um, I, like, I remember one of the biggest things is like, remember that everything, most of us have the incredible privilege of having our choice. I choose to work. I mean, of course I have to pay bills and sustain my family, (laughs) but, but the reality is I remember my daughter one time asked me why, why did I work so much? And, you know, I would have given her the standard parent answer, which is like to pay for your toys and your education and your food and your roof over your, you know, like I'm grateful, (laughs) like, but instead, instead I had a good parenting moment and I was like, you know what? I'm going to tell you the truth, which is like, I love working. I love working. I like working for me is first of all, a stage to develop myself as a human being. Um, it is I get the opportunity to like get to know amazing people. I get you know, I learn you know products build you know companies like you come to work and like there's challenges like i love problems and so like if you didn't have problems it'd be so boring <laughs> so, so so to me it's like you know my my relationship with works and challenges um, are, are things that is where I spend my energy. And, you know, the truth is that there's a lot of terrible things in the world. I've certainly have had my share of terrible things happen to me and, and to the ones I loved. And, um, and it, it, those moments are part of life too. I choose to, I, so I, I choose to not, I mean, you can't be grateful always for, you know, illness and sickness and horrible things. But you can be grateful for the learning and the growth opportunity to have and to, hey, you know, let it go. Like sometimes, you know, life does throw really bad wrinkles in your, in your journey. You live through the wrinkle and they pass and you're like, okay, just let that go. Don't, why linger with that, with that, you know, sort of like opportunity. And so honestly, that's how I deal with stress too. Like some, like, there's really stressful days. I lean into it and I'm like, gosh, I'm really stressed and all this stuff. And mm-hmm. then next day I'm like, well, oh, that's fast, you know? All right. <laughs> new day. So I think that's, that's my one secret is, uh, I do not balance at all, but I have a pretty good ability to let go of things, uh, after I've, you know, welled into it and, you know, do all the things, but I've, I pretty much move on into like what the new thing is and don't, don't spend a lot of time looking back.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Adriana. This has been a fascinating conversation. Uh, you've left us with some some really good advice, not just about marketing, but uh, everything else that can change like our perspective on on work and, and life as well. And uh, yeah, your advice is really good there. Instead of like figuring out how to balance everything and, and managing stress, like the importance of letting go and, and not focusing too much on those wrinkles is is super important. So yeah, thanks all for your time. Thanks for uh, spending some time with us. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me and your insightful questions.